You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. At 425, we'll start our previews of tomorrow's two games in the NFL playoffs. Welcome back, Grant and Danny. On the fan, Jags, Chiefs, Giants, Eagles on Saturday, Bengals, Bills, Cowboys, Niners on Sunday. Man, it's going to be fun. We got thoughts on all those games. We'll give you our confidence points picks, which are tightening a bit, and our standings coming up before we get out of here in our 6 o'clock hour on G&D as well. Right now, caller number 10 is promised 800-636-1067. You're winning a four-pack of tickets to the Washington Auto Show. It's over at the Convention Center. Started today, runs through January 29th. You can get your tickets now at WashingtonAutoShow.com. Go see the newest features, best the industry has to offer, latest models, electric vehicle exhibit, indoor and outdoor ride and drives, and so much more. The Washington Auto Show. Congrats to our winner. It is time to kick off the Beltway Blitz. Welcome, everybody. I should probably turn my mic on. Welcome, my buddy Benjamin Brown, to discuss the National Football League. Benjamin, favorite game of the weekend? Uh, I, I'm looking at this Bengals-Bills match. I think we we obviously have you know some interest based on how these teams both feel about playing this game in Buffalo. I, I also think from a match perspective, there's a lot of interesting variables to it. I think in some ways, you know, the market's moved against Cincinnati a lot because of you know, the offensive line concerns. And we're going to see if, you know, the Buffalo Bills can actually take advantage of that. So I think it's going to be the tightest game. I think it's probably going to be the highest scoring. Uh, and, and I very much think think it's going to come down to the wire and watch one of these quarterbacks is actually better. So uh, I'm excited that I would say find that out on Sunday. It just seems to me like five and a half points for the Bengals is ultra juicy. And I know everyone is yeah. probably thinking the same thing which means maybe we should roll with the Bills. Does that line just reflect the injury problems up front and not having a left tackle, you know, the starting right tackle and a starting guard? Yeah, I mean, the only things I'm seeing are very much related to the offensive line injury concerns for Cincinnati. And and in a lot of ways, those are going to matter. But I think if you buy into Joe Burrow and the direction that this office is kind of headed, he has kind of figured out how to handle some of these pressure situations. He has understood how to allow his receivers to win quickly in separation and kind of trust that they're actually going to be able to do that, especially through the second half of the season. So I think they're going to have some plays in place to kind of beat this quick pressure situation. And I think it might start to be because of Joe Burrow and his rushing ability. But I think the Bengals are going to be, I would say, pretty effective moving the football. So I think, you know, plus five and a half, you can get it. I also think that them potentially winning outright on the money line, you know, are, are probably some of my favorite bets, I would say, this weekend. What's the most likely upset? I mean, you know, a, a three-point spread isn't that crazy with Dallas and San Francisco, but I'm just thinking of teams that we don't really feel like can do it but might end up surprising us. What's the most likely upset here, Ben? Yeah, I mean, outside of Cincinnati, I, I, I do think Philadelphia is probably just in another class to what the New York Giants have, have, have kind of available to them, especially <laughs> offensively, especially the way in which I think – 
Philadelphia can kind of win along their front four with Hassan Reddick matched up against a guy like Evan Neal, who has been really poor from a PFF grading perspective. So I don't think it's the New York Giants. So I think then you're kind of looking at Jacksonville and you're wondering, you know, given the second half play of Trevor Lawrence last week and given the second half play of this overall offense, like, do they have enough firepower to go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes? And I think that in some ways that case was kind of made for us in the second half last week. Obviously, they arrived at a point where they were really down, but uh, I think some of those interceptions and breaks that didn't go Jacksonville's way in the first half were in some ways a fluky situation. So I think Jacksonville's kind of live here as you know a, a plus-nine dog. We have seen Kansas City very much, I would say, kind of keep teams around throughout the majority of the season. So if that happens, you know, I very much think Jacksonville is going to have a shot here with the ball at the end to potentially pull off the ups and airheads. So that's the one that I think is, you know, probably going to be the most shocking starting out divisional round uh, and, and just introducing out the chaos for the remaining slate. Yeah, and the Chiefs just notoriously terrible at covering going back a couple of years whenever the line's up above seven or so. And right now we're sitting at eight and a half, nine, depending on where you're looking. How about Cowboys 49ers? Dallas coming off of a really impressive outing against the Bucs. That was the best game of Dak Prescott's career statistically, probably. I don't think their line's going to hold up nearly as well against Nick Bosa and the 49ers. I'm guessing you'll agree with me there. How do you see that game going? Yeah, yeah. You know, very much, you know, Jason Pierce obviously is not going to be in the fold. They do still have some pieces they can kind of finagle around at the offensive tackle position. But yeah, if Nick Bosa dominates this game, I think it's going to be San Francisco on the landslide. They, the, the Cowboys kind of have to figure out, I would say, you know, once again, how to win underneath, whether that is with a guy like CeeDee Lamb or Tony Pollard potentially coming out of the backfield. But I think on the other side of the football, you know, even with Dallas having one of the best pressure situations in the NFL, I'm concerned about their secondary. I'm concerned about how they can actually match with Debo Samuel and, and kind of eliminate him. So San Francisco probably just has too many offensive weapons, and it, it might not take an extraordinary performance from Brock Purdy, I would say, to potentially beat Dallas. So unless we get, you know, close to the ceiling-type outcome game that Dak Prescott put forth last weekend, uh, I do think that the 49ers are probably the correct side given the current spread, you know, and, and just where everything has been trending this week. Quick hot take, sports talk radio style. Who who would be the biggest disappointment if they didn't make it to the conference final? Got to be Philadelphia. The one and done here, there's going to be questions about Jalen Hurts going back to it. So if they lose, you know, that's going to be a pretty dramatic flashpoint pan for where the direction of this team's actually going to head out at the quarterback position. So I'm hoping they win it. I, I like Jalen Hurts. I do think they are going to get it done. But if they lose, you know, I, I think the questions are going to come, you know, fast and fierce, I would say, coming up on Monday. Ben, thank you, buddy. Good info as always. Thanks, guys. Have- Let's talk some hoops. Corey Kispert of the Wizards joins us. Nice. A little surprise call from our guy. The best-looking player on the Wizards. So handsome. Second-best-looking guy in town to Tom Wilson, but he's closing the gap every day. Corey, Grant, and Danny, you remember us as the awkward guys you met at the arena. What's up, dude? How are you? <laughs> How could I forget with all these compliments, man? How you, could I forget? You should. Have you gotten any of the stuff Danny's been mailing you? He's sending you lots of mail. It's like every day. I write a letter a day every time we're apart. Those are the love letters that I'm getting? <laughs> Are you not signing oh. them, Danny? Are you not signing No, them? it's fun. I cut out little art, the letters from the magazines. Right. You're doing like the uh, the Joker bit in Batman. It's like, it's not creepy at all. Uh, Corey, he's last writing time. He's writing them with his left hand. I can't figure out what handwriting this is. He, he's been trying to figure it out, but now you know. I thought it was weird how many hours you were spending on those misconnection sites, you know? Stop where it's it. like, if only I knew who was sending me all these letters. Uh, but now you do. <laughs> 
Uh, Wizards, there you go. over the Knicks, 116-105 last time out, an 11-point win. You poured in uh, five off the bench to help the cause. Everyone contributed. Getting Bill back looked big, but you guys uh, were able to knock a team off you'd recently lost to. What, what went right? Yeah, it's great to have Brad back. Um, three is a huge contributor to us on all, in all facets of the game, and it's a testament to him and his game, how he can fit, fit in with us seamlessly when he's you know, been in and out of the lineup with that unfortunate injury, but... Um, I think everybody in the building is happy to have Brad back. You drilled a, a pretty huge second half three. I think New York had closed it to single digits, if if memory serves. I just I think that's underrated how hard that is, right? Where it's not as if you're getting you know a, a shot every third or fourth possession. And I think it was your second attempt for the field in the game, Corey, and you knocked it down. I, how walk me through that? How do you stay in rhythm and how you find a way, even if you're not just getting shots up kind of throughout the game? Yeah, that's the name of the game, man. Um, for a lot of players across the league like me who are kind of in roles, you can see those like long spurts and long stretches of minutes where you don't really see the rim, you don't really see a shot, and you don't really get a, um, a good feel or a rhythm kind of that way. Um, it's a learned skill, absolutely. So you got to do things like, you know, I mean, I've learned to like, you know, if I ever get on the floor, make a hustle play or talk on defense or get a rebound or two, like, those things kind of keep me engaged and keep me involved in the game. Um, when, you know, the shots just kind of don't find my, uh, come my way. And, you know, luckily I was able to kind of stay with it mentally and um, was able to see that three ball go down uh, to key point. We really needed that shot. Seven o'clock tip capital one arena tomorrow, magic at the wizards. You can still get your tickets to go check out Corey Kispert and the crew. Uh, have you ever eaten fast food before? Yes. Yes, I have. Wow. Like McDonald's uh-huh. or, or something else? Uh, I I think my, I mean, my my favorite two fast food restaurants revolve around chicken. I'm a uh, Chick-fil-A and Raisin Cane's guy. Um, deeply. Deeply. Mm-hmm. This is, have you ever eaten a French fry? Yes. I do enjoy French fries, man. Um, I burn a lot of calories in the game, yeah. so French fries can go a long ways. They've always gone a long way. So we were just debating. Danny wants me to try the filet fish from McDonald's. I've never had one because why wouldn't I just get a quarter pounder? I'm a little uh, skeptical. I'm not sure if I want to do that. What's your thoughts on that? That seems a little a little sketchy, man. No hate to McDonald's, um, but I don't, I don't know. I've never had a filet fish, so I think and I don't see myself trying one anytime soon. But um, I mean, more power to it if you want to. Hop on out on that. Hop, hop on out on that ledge. See, Danny, me and Corey Kispert are basically. Well, you the guys same, are the same guy. We're the same guy. Exactly. Corey, see, no, we, we have we have the same diet. Clearly, exactly. Yeah. I I have a, I have a life philosophy, and and I'm willing to impart it to you now. Anything can be sure. a side dish if you will it so. See what I'm saying? Like my the the my original uh, idea for this was I went to a place called the Italian Store in in Arlington, right? And yeah, I'm sitting there, there waiting. I, I love it there. I've been there a bunch. Of course you do. You you know what you're a man about town. And so I'm sitting there waiting, you know, for my turn for a sandwich. And over to my right is the, where the pizza is. And so I of got course. a I got a slice of pizza while I was waiting for a sandwich to get made. It's one of the fatter things I've ever done. And that's when it dawned on me: anything could be a side dish. You can get a fillet of fish as a side to your main McDonald's meal to give it a try. That's what I'm saying to you. That seems bulletproof to me. <laughs> How could it not? Has <laughs> there ever been a moment where you were starstruck, meeting or defending or hanging around a player? On the court, like first time you see LeBron in person or anything like that, or because you're in the tourney, you're at Zaga, you're drafted in the first round, are you kind of above that? Um, no, I'm not above it. Um, 
the first time that we played against the Warriors, I think seeing Steph across the court was probably my time to kind of just sit back and be like, dang, like I'm really in the NBA right now. I'm really about to lace it up against this dude. Um, but you know, that, 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 that feeling goes away really fast when you check into a game. Um, stuff just starts to feel similar and you, 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 you want to rip the other guy's head off, you know, the, the, the competition starting and you want to do everything you can to win. So that starstruck feeling only really happens in warmups for me. Is it really that different playing at Madison Square Garden? I love it. I really, really love playing there. Um, I don't know what it is. Everything just is kind of perfect. Like the, 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 the lighting and the organ and the, like the depth perception of the hoop and the way that the, like the rims are like soft and forgiving. Like it's just, everything's just perfect from a basketball standpoint there. Do you use clippers like a two guard on your beard when you shave or do you use a razor? I use uh, a little bit of both. So I throw the two guard. I throw, yeah. I throw the two guard on to trim the bulk of it. And then I use a razor to get the, get the neckline. Right. Exactly. To shape it up. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Me and Corey Kispert are the same, same guy. guy. Same He's guy. Two guard guy. It's unbelievable. When you go get your haircut, do you show a picture of yeah. what you want? Like you're you on your best day? Or do you Do you know the words to do you say? Say words. That's a really great question. I've struggled with this for a while. Yeah. I had to go through a couple of bad haircuts to really know what I get. Um, but now that my hair is longer, it, it like the words like, you know, trim it up or tighten it up or take it down or take some weight off or thin the hair, like those words kind of get thrown around a lot. Um, but I'm still trying to find that perfect like equation for the haircut well i would say you found the perfect equation Corey. thank you very much we appreciate you coming on as always it's great to catch up with you yeah thanks boys talk soon buddy wizards home tomorrow check them out Corey kispert and the crew at capital one arena hit that uh, commander sounder please how about it aaron haynes wsa9 joins us to talk about those commanders what do you make of the offensive coordinator search to this point darren Offensive. See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, one, I, I feel like, you know, a bunch of these candidates are going in and, and, and going out and wondering, okay, why are we bringing in, you know, this person? Why are we bringing in that person? A lot of names that I'm not necessarily too familiar with. Uh, nobody that really, like, jumps off the page for me right now. I'm kind of wondering, you know, is it that, you know, the Washington Commanders are not really looking for it? X, Y, and Z offensive coordinator, or is it an issue where maybe some of these offensive, offensive coordinators that like a big name don't necessarily want to come to Washington because there are a couple of declines as well that didn't want to interview here in Washington. Ron Rivera calls you up. He says, Hey, Darren, how you doing, buddy? Haven't seen you since the end of season presser, pal. And then he says, who do you want me to hire as offensive coordinator? What are you telling him? Ah, uh, that's, Ooh. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to be biased and, and, you know, I've heard some issues in regards to maybe he wasn't that good this particular season. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just going to bring the hometown kid back, Brian Byron uh, Leftwich. You know, give him a shot, let him rebound in some particular way. Maybe it'll rejuvenate his 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 career. Um, that's the one I'll lean on just to give him anybody. Um, but you know, one thing actually, though, I do agree with you, Grant. Is you know, Greg Roman is a guy. You know who the commanders kind of, you know, the the formula of how they want to run their offense is that's that's their offensive coordinator, if you really think about it, the way he gets that running game going. Um, so, the, I, like, I don't know, the smart one would be, hey, Ron, take take 
take Greg Roman. That that'll be your guy because that's that's what you want to do. But I'll also be like bring Byron Leftwich back to DC. What's a fair expectation for Sam Howell next year? Ooh, a fair one. Oh, that's tough, man. I wasn't ready for that. Oh, geez, that's that's a tough one. A fair expectation. They well, don't one, pay I us an unbelievable amount of money to ask easy questions. Like that's not like I, there's a reason we could retire right now because yeah, the questions a, are that good. That is a that is a great that is a really good question. I expect him to play. Uh, I expect him to throw some a couple picks. Some you know, obviously in his second season, some you know, trying to learn. But I don't expect him to be this amazing quarterback that's going to turn the franchise around right in like one year. I mean, if he surprises me, that that outstanding i don't expect him to be that if that helps out that's a hard question what do you think the top priority is going to be around how i mean offensive line is oh clear. you don't have to say anymore i don't want to hear anymore offensive line okay. i don't know what your i don't know what your other offense uh, options are the offensive line i mean any good quarterback because I, I see sometimes some people having fun putting tom brady in a, a commander's uniform and i'm like dude tom brady will never survive with the offensive line they have now. They they need to first priority in the draft, get some big beef guys to protect up front, their protect their quarterback and also can establish their running game. That is the foundation for everything. I played with a horrible offensive line in college. I sucked that season. You need an offensive line. Darren, for all this talk of running the football. By the way, are we going to just gloss past the fact that he just threw his entire O-line under the bus? Yeah, he didn't buy him anything after the season. They got no watches. Yeah, I mean, those guys are catching shrapnel. They're going to be so mad when they hear this interview. Uh, they're not. Sorry, guys. My bad. My bad. <laughs> it was very sincere. Um, for all this running game talk and this Greg Roman uh, type things and all the uh, everyone who wants to take it back to like 1984, should they trade one of their receivers then? Should like should they ship Curtis Samuel out for for to somebody else if they're just going to run the ball and not use the the best weapons that they have? Nah. So let's look at it this way. So so the Ravens obviously they ran the ball really well with, with Greg Roman and and a lot of receivers you know reportedly didn't want to come to Baltimore because of that particular offense. Well, right now we already have the good receivers that didn't want to go to Baltimore. So run the rock and can maybe set up some other opportunities for this passing offense to open up. Who knows? We have the weapons, um, but that running game, it's, it's simple, simple formula, you guys. You establish the run, you can do many things with that. And so if you get the running game going, the receivers can't be mad because the defense has to adjust what's going to give like Terry and Samuel, uh, Curtis Samuel and, and Jahan Dotson better opportunities because of that. Who is your left tackle on that offensive line? <laughs> Now, see, you're gonna set me up because you know, you you know my boys over there, right? No, you know, you, you, yeah, that Charles Leno's gonna be your left tackle. Wait, I'm saying who was the? Did you play with Charles Leno in college? Is that what you're telling me? Oh, oh, oh! You said who was my left tackle in college? <laughs> yeah, you hilarious. said stunk. No, who was the left tackle on your college team where you you didn't have a good line? <laughs> You know what's so funny, man? Because he was a freshman. I do not remember his name, but I know he That's was a tough. guy who was like three. He was three hundred pounds, and he wasn't. He had a lot of potential. But here's the thing: Joyke Bell, who ended up playing for the Lions for many years, I remember Joyke Bell got 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 all those freshman linemen that I had when they were juniors and seniors, and the, and he balled out. Uh, man, what was it? Was like Manu something Manu Manu. 
Manu's yeah. on the line right now on line five. Let's go to Manu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it like, yo, it's like something Manu. Who knows, man? Well, we need a Manu left tackle right away. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Darren, thank you, buddy. We appreciate you. All right, bro. See you, Left hand up. He said left hand up. Sure he did. What are you going to say? Nothing. No one should do that. If the, it's a call and re- response, what is that? Call and yeah, I think that's the right term. Call, call and response, response? Yeah, sounds yeah. weird. No, that's right. Okay, he Here said it. Ready, Danny? Yeah, he said left hand up. He sure did. Remember when you used to agree to, to sing along with left hand up? No. Those haters can't stand us. Eight hand eight. Stop doing this. My hand is up. It's so embarrassing. Your My hand, hand is up. up it wasn't. What a fair weather fan. Never been up. When the getting was good, Danny's hands My were hand high in the Never air. Never once. My hand is up. Never once. You did trick me to, to raise the left side of my my left extremity one time. You're that like, I think great. you're you're pitting out. And I'm like, you're probably right. And I raised my left hand up, and you got me. Saturday, tomorrow, two playoff games. They two. both could be really good. We'll start our preview of the day next on GND. I still listen. I, I I owe a lot to Coach Reed. You know, of my career, not only as a player but as a coach, and and I still want to I want to pick his brain and, and and learn. He's been doing this a long time, and he's been you know really really successful. You know, uh, at it. So anything I can learn and take away from him is uh, is a blessing for me. That's Doug Peterson. His Jaguars are a win away from the AFC Championship game. Is it weird that Jacksonville never makes the playoffs, but yet is in the AFC Championship game every few years? Yes. Like, how are both of those things true? Remember when Blake Bortles was in the AFC Championship game a few years ago? This is always the point I make, is that everybody's had ups and then downs and ups and then downs, except for Washington. David Garrard somehow was in two AFC Championship games. I, I think I saw a stat that uh, the uh, the last six AFC Championships will feature either the Chiefs or the Jaguars, no matter what happens this weekend. Well, that's because the last five are the Chiefs, and the one before that was the Jaguars, I guess. That's really funny, though. All right, let's uh, fire up the NFL music and get you your first in-detail game preview here. This is a 4.30 East kick, 3.30 Kansas City time for the Jags, the four seed, the worst of the division winners of the AFC South, and the Chiefs, the one seed coming off of a bye at Arrowhead Stadium. Trip to the AFC title game is on the line. Chiefs 14-3, seventh straight AFC West championship game this year. As I mentioned, They're looking to get to the AFC Championship game for the fifth time in five years under Patrick Mahomes. Sixth time, Andy Reid has been a number one seed as a head coach. Dan, you believe that? Six times times. as a head coach he's had to buy number one seed. Last five times that he's done this, though, his team has not won the Super Bowl. The years that he won, got there with Kansas City and finally got to the top of the mountain. They were not a one seed. Jaguars won a bad South. Two straight elimination games on Saturday night for them. Two straight wins. Trevor Lawrence, you saw the stat, I'm sure, has never lost on Saturday. Well, Saturday night, two weeks ago, thanks to a defensive touchdown, they became the first team ever to come back in the fourth quarter despite not having a first down in that frame. They beat the Titans, and one week later, this was last Saturday night, they beat a Chargers team that led them 27 to nothing. These two teams played in week eight, I believe it was, something like that, about 10 weeks ago. Kansas City led 20 to nothing before winning 27-17, 
The Jaguars are a different team, though, Danny. Six straight wins for them, and the, the Chiefs are always hot. They've won nine of their last ten. One loss in that time in Week 13. Can Jacksonville do anything to disrupt Kansas City on offense? That, to me, is the question in this one, right? I think Jacksonville will be able to score. I think they'll be able to move the football a little bit. Kansas City is going to rely on a turnover, maybe a negative play, a sack, and they would love for you to try to get the shootout with them. <laughs> that, that, they would consider that to be simply adorable. They'll outscore everybody on their way to a Super Bowl. This, to me, is about can Josh Allen do something, a number one uh, first-round pick a couple years ago, who is their leading sacker uh, on the team for Jacksonville. Can you disrupt oh, that Josh Allen. That Josh I'm Allen. I'm picturing Josh Allen, the Bills quarterback, and I'm going, what does he What's have Danny to do What's Danny talking anything? about? No, no, no. The other Josh Allen, the 25-year-old uh, defensive stalwart for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Can they come up with some pressure? Can they disrupt? Can they force a punt or two? Every time you stop Kansas City from scoring, that's a massive win, right? You take those blessings and you've got to go down and convert, as Michael Lombardi told us earlier. I like Kansas City to win the game, but I feel like Jacksonville will hang around and, and, and cover because I Kansas City hates covering. They're not a cover team. It's not a blanket. They don't do a whole lot of that. Patrick Mahomes is going to ball, though. He always does against Jacksonville, and it was week 10 to confirm, uh, going back to the first matchup between these two teams this year. Mahomes, 26 of 35, 331 yards and four touchdowns. Sounds like he balled out. I would say he did, but that's also just a week for Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> no, I was going to say, that's a Sunday. Basically could be the MVP every year because he has the best numbers at the most important position. Mahomes in the playoffs, 8-3. and three. Uh, in 11 starts, if you're a win-loss guy or girl, more importantly, 3,300 yards, 28 touchdowns, and seven interceptions in those 11 playoff starts. In that game against the Jags I just referenced, where he threw four touchdowns, Jacksonville blitzed him one time. They played coverage. Really curious, and I know Mahomes torches teams that blitz him, mm -hmm. but one blitz all game. It did not work. Jacksonville for the year Blitz is the 18th most, right middle of the pack in the NFL, about 26% of the time. The Chiefs' number one passing team in the NFL, not surprising, 298 per game through the air. Mahomes, number one in the National Football League, 5,250 yards and 41 touchdowns. Just every year, man. Like, oh, hum. Is, is the best year that 25 quarterbacks will ever have. Is, is just his normal season as he's on his way to Canton one day. Travis Kelsey, eighth in the NFL with 1,338 yards. That's a tight end, number tight eight end, in receiving, man. not number eight among tight ends, number eight among everyone. 110 catches for him, a career high. Can you imagine? He got even better this year in terms of volume. With Tyreek Hill out, they just fed him more than they ever have. So I was dead wrong about that, by the way. I said, okay, without the easy over the top, it's going to be tough. Kelsey's still great. That didn't change, but it's going to be tougher for him. Uh, wrong. <laughs> he's, actually, he's still amazing. Jaguars this past week, go back and watch. Against the Chargers, look back. Gerald Everett torched them. Yes, he did. Six for a buck oh nine. In fact, this year against tight ends, this Jacksonville defense, 119.3 rating allowed. That is 30th among 32 teams. It's going to be a Travis Kelsey show, I think, uh, on Saturday afternoon. Wide receiver load this year has been spread around without Tyreek Hill. Juju Smith-Schuster, 933 yards. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, 687 yards in their first seasons in Kansas City. How good has Jarek McKinnon been? 512 yards, nine touchdowns. Nine touchdowns. He's got a touchdown catch in six straight games for the Chiefs. Big question for Jacksonville. Can you get any pressure on Mahomes? Third worst decline among any quarterback when you look at his numbers with and without pressure. With no pressure, his rating is 119. With pressure, it's 57. Only two guys have a larger discrepancy in those two categories. He can be had. You just have to get him moving around and get in his face. It's just normally he's able to reset and find someone. And 
Jacksonville's going to have to bring the heat. That's the key. It, it can, can they do anything to disrupt Kansas City at all? Or is Kansas City out of rhythm because they had a week off? That's Jacksonville's best hope. Jacksonville can move the ball enough to cover, as you said. How about 354 yards per game this year? They score 24 points per game, which is just outside of the top 10 in the NFL. Lawrence, this season, I mentioned this earlier in the show, biggest jump from year one to year two in passer rating since Terry Bradshaw back in Pittsburgh in the 70s. From 71 as a rookie to 95, he's just a different guy. He's very confident. I know he threw the four picks early against the Chargers, but he came back with four touchdown passes. And the Jags have all the weapons, man. I love what they've assembled. They got crushed this offseason when they spent on Christian Kirk and Brandon Scherf and Zay Jones. Remember that everyone just hated all of their transactions? Totally. All, all the people on Twitter who were better GMs than, than Trent Balky thought he overspent on everyone. Kirk's a stud. Zay Jones has been a baller. Marvin Jones has been really good. Evan Ingram's been outstanding. Travis Etienne, who everyone hated because he was a first-round pick, and you can't do that in the first round, though he's been awesome coming off 100 yards in their first playoff game. The, the plan has come in place already in year one under Peterson. Here is my question on Jacksonville's offense, though. Trevor Lawrence dropped back 49 times against the Chargers this past week, only faced pressure 18% of the time. That will not be the case this week, I promise you. The Chiefs, sneaky awesome at getting to the quarterback. 55 sacks, number two in the NFL to Philadelphia. Chris Jones, all pro at D-tackle. Stud. One and a half of the five sacks as a team that they had when they played Jacksonville in Week 10. Best player that nobody talks about, that guy. He is a beast. Since that game, when the Chiefs just dominated the Jacksonville offensive front, the Jags have only given up 1.3 sacks per game over seven contests. So they've turned it around in that Hmm. regard. I want to see what happens there. Are they able to protect Trevor Lawrence? Does he get any time to throw the football? They also got to run the ball with Travis Etienne, who's really, really good. He's so fast and explosive. I mentioned 100 yards last week, 5.5 per carry. Kansas City is 8th against the run this year. Jacksonville is 10th at running it. Some of the key matchups I see in that game. So the my theory, and I can't prove this with data, but this is how I feel about it. I feel like Kansas City is always on top. And when you're always on top, what's the other team doing? Throwing. Right. Throwing the ball. And when you know they're throwing, it's easier to pass rush. I'd be curious to see if this is a back-and-forth kind of a game, if Kansas City's pass rush is as effective. Because they're going to – listen, Chris Jones obviously is your is I your say, I don't think it matters with Chris Jones. That He's excellent. home. But – you know, guys like Frank Clark, George Karloftis are a little bit better when you can pin your ears back and just kind of try to get home on you know pretty much every other snap. So listen, Jacksonville keeps keeps on chugging despite what everybody thinks about them. Right, everyone. I'm kind of done writing them off because all they've done here is survive, come back from being pretty much out of it in that terrible division, the AFC South. Granted, they didn't beat a bunch of juggernauts to get there, but still, everyone counted them out, including me. And here they are, a win away from the AFC title game. So. I think they'll be around, man. I think they're frisky. Let's play the game. Imagine the conversation if. Start with the Chiefs win more likely. I think we talk a lot about how good Mahomes in this offense is and mm-hmm. this juggernaut in this conference. AFC Championship game, sixth year in a row, right? I Probably at that point, seven out of eight, if memory serves. The better question is, imagine the conversation if Jacksonville stuns them. Yeah. Goes to Arrowhead, wins on the road, and in year one, after the Urban Meyer fiasco, Doug Peterson's Jags are one of two teams left standing in the AFC. That'll begin the coronation for Trevor Lawrence. Correctly or incorrectly, so. it yeah. almost doesn't matter what happens. Like he could throw four picks again. He could have eight picks in two weeks. 
Everyone will be talking about Trevor Lawrence having arrived. But I think, correctly, Peterson will be getting his flowers. That guy was really good in Philly. Uh Run out of town after they were at odds over Carson Wentz, essentially. And he is back, has risen from the ashes. If Jacksonville's in the conference title game, you're removed from that clown show. That was Urban Meyer's regime. It's such an indictment on everybody else that didn't have their act together. Like, it's not that complicated. Now, it's hard. It's hard to find an excellent head coach and an excellent quarterback. But stop! don't stop trying until you do. Don't settle for mediocre. Don't settle for Jag. I know we we're talking about the Jaguars here. Don't settle for just a, media, just a whatever type thing to fill the spot. If it's not excellent, you, you don't stop till you find it. You get those two things, you fill in a couple supplementals, AFC title game a year removed from being the worst team in the league with the number one overall pick going to the AFC title game the following year is ridiculous. 430, NBC. This is your Mike Tirico, Chris Collinsworth telecast. National tomorrow out of Arrowhead for the Jags and the Chiefs. Game two of the doubleheader on Saturday, just one day away. The Giants and the Eagles, one of these NFC East teams, is on to the NFC Championship game. We'll give you our thoughts on that matchup next. Also have a take on a commander being added to the Pro Bowl roster as we continue on Grant and Danny. Well, we think he's he's a piece. You know, he 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 fits the formula of what we want to do and how we want to play, uh, and he's got the skill set that 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 you would like to have. Um, you know, we think his presence on the football field was outstanding this season, and he did a lot of good things for us. And it is most certainly you know something that um, you know we have to talk about and make sure we can uh, figure it out as we go forward. That's Ron Rivera on Deron Payne, who was named to the Pro Bowl roster. Yesterday, tip of the cap to him and an attaboy from everyone here at the Grant and Danny Show. 11 and a half sacks for Deron Payne. Super impactful. Tackles for loss. Getting into the backfield. Just flourished this season in a contract year. Always a little bit scary when you have to pay someone a massive amount of money when their contract year was way different than the rest of their career. Payne has been good for a while. Yes. He's never been this. Right, This was another level. I mean, the 11.5 sacks as a down defensive tackle are all pro caliber and, frankly, don't happen. Certainly not around here. It tied Dave Butts' record organizationally for the most ever sacks by an interior defensive lineman in Washington. But you just tell me, like, which of these is not like the others? These are his sack total since he got into the league. Five, two, three, four and a half, eleven and a half. Whoa, there's a much bigger number there. Okay. Huh. Here's his tackle for loss total since he got into the league. Six, three, seven, six. Much more reasonable, right? Kind of the same type of year. Here's his quarterback hits. This is how often he drilled the quarterback according to pro football reference. Now, I'll tell you that these numbers are all higher when you grade every play like PFF does. But this is what he was assigned via NFL stats for uh, pro football reference. Quarterback hits by year. Eight, four, eight, 15, 20. Now, you will notice that there's an ascension happening. A little spike there, yeah. He is climbing in that regard. Oh, by the way, I botched the tackle for loss stat. I'm going to do it again. I said they were all very similar. I forgot this year. That was the problem. Yeah. Here's the tackles for loss. 6, 3, 7, 6, 18. Tied for third in the league this year. One behind Nick Bosa. 6, 3, 7, 6, 18. One of these years is not like the others, Danny. 
this year was fantastic, and he should have been in the first go around when when we're doing Pro Bowl voting. Shouldn't have to wait for a couple of people to fall out or you know or whatever. But that is a well loaded deserved. position all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Like I would love to sit here and advocate for he or Allen as an All Pro, but when you see the actual list and the the teams that were put together. There are some really good defensive tackles. Yeah, now. Th- this is the way of things now. By the way, you know, with short passing games, and and it used to be the you couldn't find a quarterback that was under six three, six four. Now there are these super athletic quarterbacks that are listed at six foot, but probably even less. And Michael Lombardi brought the point up: the best way to disrupt a lot of these guys is interior pressure. Even if you don't, you know, get by the lineman, not letting a dude see over the top, and you know, making that more challenging for him really negates some of these things. It's kind of the way of things with with quick passing games to try to get up the field from the defensive tackle position. To your point, it, it just didn't used to happen that you would have guys get sacks that were D tackles. Warren Sapp is an all time player at the position. Yes. You agree? Yes. Hall of Famer, right? Warren Sapp one year had sixteen and a half sacks for the Bucks, which is like. Unconscionable. Staggering. That's Aaron Donald level production. Mm-hmm. But in his career, he was around from two thousand from nineteen ninety five to two thousand seven. He had ten and a half, twelve and a half, sixteen and a half, and ten. Four seasons where he had double digit sacks. The rest of his career, for the most part, he was right around like four to seven sacks. And my point is not to knock him. It's just that the position has completely changed. He was a unicorn. There was no one else like him. He was a first-team All-Pro four times. Now there are eight defensive tackles who have over eight sacks every year. It's just crazy. Yeah, it is different. I mean, I remember John Randall, the undersized defensive tackle for the Minnesota Vikings, who, you know, was maybe vulnerable times in the run game, but they were willing to deal with that because he was so good as a pass rusher. And sometimes he was a DN, and like a 34, they kind of moved him around. But um, to your point, he and Warren Sapp were, were the most unique. It's a lot more Gilbert Brown. It's a lot more... Giant nose tackle, 400-pound, you know, just smart car of a person than it was, you know, these incredibly athletic guys that can do both now. I really do believe De'Ron Payne improved, and he was always good. He was always the more, you know, hold the blocks, take on the double team, let everyone else kind of run free. He can make a play or two here and there, but that that cross your face, I don't even know what the, the technical terms are, but he let's say let's say you're the center and I'm De'Ron Payne, so now all of a sudden I'm really good and 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 you have to envision that I'm an NFL player. I line up on your right shoulder. I'm swatting you, smacking you on my way past your left shoulder. That move he made, or whether he developed it or perfected it or whatever, it feels like anytime they needed a big play, that's what he was doing, and it led to a big play. It led to him stopping somebody, blowing something up. Even if he didn't get the tackle or the sack, it was a, an incompletion or the, the running back had to change directions or something like that. Whatever that sort of run across the offensive lineman move was to ruin the play, that's Deron Payne's signature now. I am largely a believer in not using the franchise tag. And I have been adamant over the the past several years that you got to avoid using it as often as possible, that it's essentially a bad allocation of funds because you're just keeping someone around, you're renting them, like you better be a contender if you're doing that. I think Payne had such a good year that I am going to franchise tag him this year. I don't think I'm going to pay him. And this is something we'll talk a lot more about and we'll take calls on, I'm sure, in the weeks ahead. Hmm. But paying him would cost close to $20 million a year at this point, in my opinion, based on the way that the the, the tackle market that we're addressing right now has exploded and based on what Allen makes, who got paid a couple off seasons ago. 
I'm not doing that. And I'll give you two reasons why I'm not doing that. The first is, I want to see it again. We've got five years of, of production. Four are similar, and then this year was this crazy year where he was about to get paid that nothing has ever resembled. I feel a lot more comfortable, even if I have to pay more, negotiating off the franchise tag next year, if you do that twice than if you do it once. I, I think you can get into some big trouble paying crazy money after a, a guy does something they've never been able to do before in a contract year. But the other point would be, I also think it's bad business to pay two tackles that kind of money. Hmm. And I do agree that tackle's more important than it used to be for the reasons that you were just talking about and Michael Lombardi referred to earlier. But do I really want to tie up close to $40 million a year a couple seasons from now between just two of my defensive tackles after I just drafted one in the second round as well? That's just a lot of allocation to one position. It 100% is. And it kind of makes me cringe a little bit, but I'm paying him. Everything... Oh, it, it, like nineteen million yeah. a year, everything million you, a year. Everything that you just said is what makes me nervous about it. But I'm sitting there going, "This is my surest bet among the guys that are going to be coming up for contracts pretty soon." I like Montez Sweat an awful lot. He just hasn't had one of these monstrous seasons where he can't be stopped, and he's Nick Bosing, and he's going to give you fourteen sacks and five force fumbles, and you know, tip a pass to himself for a touchdown. He hasn't. He's been good. There's nothing wrong with Montez Sweat. It's not a complaint. But we're talking about paying someone twenty million bucks. I will kind of grin and bear it because you're, you're everything you're saying I agree with wholeheartedly, but the conclusion I get to is different. I feel like now that I've got I've got something where everything else around it's going to play off these two guys in the middle between Payne and Allen. Those two guys work well together. That's the strength of my team. I'm not going to make that weaker in in the hopes that I find someone maybe as good as Deron Payne somewhere else. I've put, sort of decided I'm not allocating much resource when it comes to linebacker. They sort of, they sit, I think they tend to agree with me there. They're doing less even than I would. This is where their pass rush is going is to come from. I think I would be willing to move on from Chase Young. I'd be willing to move on. You know, it, it, it would kind of kill me, but if Montez Sweat has a similar year next year, I'd say thank you. We all will part company and so kind of go to Preston Smith. Both your edges to do that. Yeah, because yeah, I, I, I feel like I've got that. it. I got something. And I don't want to let it go. I'm going to try to keep my good players that have done everything right. John Allen's cap number next year is $21.4 million. Mm. Now, you're not going to have to, I don't think, pay pain 20 in the first year. You can do what you did with Allen, where the first couple years of his deal were much, much lower. He was like at $9.5 million before it exploded this year. But in a world where we have conversations all the time about how much you can pay quarterbacks and what can you get away with, you're talking about $40 million on your two defensive tackles. The Aaron Rodgers, Russell yep. Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, you know, before they explode to closer to fifty million now. But the forty million tag that how dare you pay a quarterback that much? You're gonna do that for two tackles? I, I I just can't. I'm sorry. Now that doesn't mean I if I if I have to, I could tag him twice in a row. Play the cousins game and and just you know, the it's a big price tag, right? But at the tackle still hasn't quite exploded as much as it will the next couple of years. I would be saving money over you know, a, a five-year deal yeah, where it's for two years for three years or whatever. I think year one it would be, what, like 18? Because all defensive linemen are kind of treated similarly, right? Uh, and then year two would be in the 20s. Probably, yes. Yeah. Uh, which is why the second tag doesn't make a lot of sense, to be honest. It would sting the nostrils. I mean, I guess what you could do, honestly, is you tag him the first year. If he has the exact same year again, you're just kind of out of luck, and, and you got the first seven years of his career. At that point, I guess, six years six of his years. career. Mm -hmm. And then he hits the market. You could break the bank, but again, I'm, I'm just not willing to do that. Totally understand. And 
this is one of those things where I'm kind of going, there's no great answer here. You have to kind of hope that you get a repeat performance for a guy who's been good, but not this great, which he was this year. He was great this year. He was outstanding. You have to hope that that's kind of the new normal, right? That he's turned the corner. That's him from here on out, like Allen did, quite frankly. And the other part is that means you probably can't resign any of these other guys. You can't hope for that similar breakout from Chase Young or Montez Sweat. I totally understand the reservation. I see some people are, are hopping in on the phones that want to discuss this. Uh, you can tweet us at Grant H. Paulson at Funny Danny if you want. You can call us 800-636-1067. We'll sprinkle in a couple of calls on the idea of possibly paying Deron Payne this offseason. It's one of the biggest stories for this team of the months ahead. Uh, next, though, in addition to that, let's rank the four playoff games this weekend, best to worst in terms of how close they'll be, and we'll give you your Giants-Eagles preview that we told you you'd be getting. We'll do that in a moment on Grant and Danny here on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.